millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome to a brand new week of the Irish Lions Second Captain's Podcast. Kieran's here. Hey there, Owen. Ken's here. Hi, Owen. How are you? I'm good, and I'm Owen. I'm here, and I'm here to tell you the Rossies are coming, Ken. Oh, again? Uh, there they come again. They always yes. seem to be coming. Yeah. But do they ever actually get here? Do they ever arrive? Not since 1944, huh? uh, Kenny. Well, you may remember the interview we did late last year with the greatest Rossi of them all, Shane Curran, who outlined his long term vision for football in the county. The vision involved him as manager. That was key to the yeah. Shanker envision. And the team as All-Ireland champions. I have to say, I thought it sounded a little far-fetched at the time. But now their current manager is talking in those terms, Murph. Oh, John he Evans. is all right. Don't worry about that, Unzi. Uh, John Evans. Uh, they won the Division 2 final against Down yesterday. Not a very good game of football. They're not going to be too worried about that, though. Uh, because on the back of Silverware for the second successive uh, springtime, uh, he was asked about his vision for the team. And uh, he says, we want to be at the top. And uh, the journalist there asked him for clarification. Does the top mean Sam McGuire back in Roscommon? First time since 1944? Absolutely, absolutely. It's a tough question. If we can stay in Division 1 for three to four years, if we can stay there the first year, you can really believe me. Now it's consolidation. Look, lads, I've gone through every team. There are a lot of them, and they'll all be losing a lot of star players over the next two, three, four years. We'll be growing in stature. <laughs> so let's do it. Let's just go for it. Let's just win this damn thing, says John Evans. Uh, he did add yeah. shortly afterwards that um, the biggest problem is, the biggest problem we'll have is trying to calm them down now, Smollett, and say one step at a time. It's how we cope with this now. That's the big question. It's how we cope with the pressure that I myself as I've managers just, I've just keeping on the team. All right. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, hey, listen. That's, you know, yeah, John Evans can talk can talk in one fashion one minute and then John Evans can talk in another fashion the next minute. That's what John Evans does. Anthony Moyles do and Oshie McConville are going to be in studio shortly, largely to talk about Cork and their rather embarrassing performance. Don't think it's stretching it to call it that at the weekend. We all remember the 40-foot Brian O'Driscoll banner. Oh, that- what do you think of that? Well, no, I, yeah. Was uh, he editorialising a bit there? Uh, <laughs> I don't think it's too much to call it that. You can editorialise on a podcast, can't you? Uh, I don't I know what the, I don't know, I haven't read the rule book in a while, Ken. A little, but bit, little bit of edge to that one there, Owen. Well, I'll when tell you why, Ken, I'll tell you why, Ken. I sat down thinking, right, this is going to be, this could be an exciting game. Yeah. And let's, to be frank about it, Dublin don't really get tested very often in Leinster anymore. So potentially this was going to be their last competitive game until, I can imagine fans of, well, Hopefully, and who else could it be? Well, for imagine away. The fact of the matter is, the whole country is, is lighting up right now. Of Dublin, so. so, most likely, they won't be challenged until at the minimum a Leinster final, possibly against me. Yeah. And after that, maybe a quarter final, right? The so you're very si- voice of arrogance here. So, you're the sitting c- down. The citizen sitting there behind this. So, you're there. sitting down watching this game against Cork going, Cork, they're a good football county. They've got a lot of really good players. Yeah. Got a, okay, it didn't go so well for them last year, but there were signs. And then they just didn't turn up again. They didn't turn up. There was no game. It was 
Inc- oh, it was It was an embarrassment It was an embarrassment Ken That's yeah. how bad Cork were yesterday And you know There are teams Where you know they, they can be Not great And then there are other teams Where you really hold it Against them for being bad You know Arsenal You know you, you, It's not just that They're bad sometimes it's that They really annoy you They should just be A little bit better Yeah Yeah. You're just looking at them Going like This is There's nothing wrong here There's something deeply wrong With the sporting universe That I have to sit here And watch Arsenal be Watching this Cork. bad Soil their escutcheon in this way. <laughs> well, that's that's what Cork did. That's what Cork did yesterday, Ken. Uh, you know, usually when McDevitt gets up on his high horse, Ken, you know, me and you were looking at each other across this table going, yeah, yeah. he's done it. What's he doing? What's he saying? Uh, you know, but when it comes to him, you know, sometimes the rules are that there are no rules in yeah. the in McDevitt world. Uh, but on this on this particular occasion, I'm happy to row in behind there. I don't follow anyone's rules, Ken. Not even my own. <laughs> Sounds chaotic. We all remember the 40-foot Brian O'Driscoll banner that dominated Lands End Road skyline in O'Driscoll's last game for Ireland. Yeah, yes. we all remember this. I never thought the day would come when that was outdone as a farewell. But then I sat down to watch Channel 4 racing at Sandown for A.P. McCoy's final day. It was really well done, actually. Not There was no one individual moment as spectacular no actual as banner. the banner. Yeah. There was no banner. Just a long day of sustained emotion. And the structure of a day's racing gives their gives plenty of time where there's nothing actually happening in terms of action that so more people can come on and talk about AP McCoy I was a bit concer- concerned sitting down thinking oh this is going to start getting a little bit ridiculous just everybody talking about how great one man is and that is of course an element of it but a lot of people spoke really well I was amazed how emotional the presenters were Richard Johnson right Richard Johnson is the Jimmy White of the racing world mm-hmm. except that rather than being runner up seven times six times whatever Jimmy White was he's been runner up to AP McCoy 15 times over the course of a long career. In their very final race together, Richard Johnson's horse wins. A.P. McCoy's horse comes third. Richard Johnson's interviewed immediately afterwards. In one of those interviews where the presenter's walking along with those extended big long microphone mics. stands. Yeah. And the Richard Johnson is crying and saying, this isn't about me, this is about A.P. This is my friend's day. You're thinking, well, you're thinking how ma- the, the great cliche about jockeys and how they remain so friendly despite trying to yeah. kick the hell out of each other on the course. But it showed you what... what how big a day it was. I thought that really hit home to me at that stage. Ruby Walsh spoke really well as well. I think I know you saw that interview, Murph. Yeah, yeah. And as Ruby is one to do, just giving you something totally different. You know, this is... Ruby is not a man to go in for a lot of bull. Ruby doesn't talk a lot of, a lot of bull. Uh, Ruby's a straight man. And uh, he... Well, he finished the interview by saying, listen, we all have problems. He he named a couple of jockeys that have to fight to get under the weight as much as McCoy does. He said, oh, well, he's as mad, had as many bad falls as I have. Listen, he's just better than all of us. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and you just have to think. Right, and the, you know, I think the interview was, it, it, given the sort of day that it was, the interview was like, well, just keep going until it's... You know, until it stops being good, because we just we're, we'll find someone else to talk to about, about AP McCoy. But after he's kind of said that, Ruby, I'm sure he's looking at him going, "Well, I don't have anything else to say about this. <laughs> I've said, I've given you an interesting line. And that's it." But he actually also made these points. I know you were interested by this as well. Just this is uh, what McCoy did when he first went over to England was he hired a driver and then he handed over his entire race card to his racing agent who found all of the rides for him. Basically, he organised his life in such a way as all he ever thought about was how to get the best out of the horse that he was going to be on, or the horses that he was going to be on at any given race meet. Just took all of the confusion out of his entire life. And Ruby was saying, I just can't believe that more people haven't done that Mm. since then. I've tried to do it. Uh, Other people have tried to do it. But he's shown us the way to just organise your life so that you can just feed the obsession and that's why he's that and a number of other reasons are why he's as good as he is the problem now for McCoy is he's a model for someone I think who will struggle in retirement certainly in the initial stages most sports people do but he really really doesn't seem to want to retire he's retiring because he the only thing worse than having to retire is having to retire when you come second and when other people are telling you to do it and he's taken the step. A little like Henry Shefflin maybe is a similar example. Shefflin was on the wane in the sense that he wasn't a regular in the team anymore and he took that decision as well. But it's a little bit different. Henry Shefflin's got his own career away from sport whereas McCoy now has to find something else to fill his days. And he has said himself that he's going to struggle to do that. He's talked about uh, this being the best time of his life and nothing he doesn't feel anything is going to match it so you would worry a little bit in that sense but we'll talk about this all a little bit later on in a bit more detail Ken it was John Terry day in the Premier League yesterday oh John Terry just reminding everyone 
you know, when it, when you get down to it, there's actually a lot to admire about John Terry. <laughs> <laughs> he is a, a, one of the most vilified players in the Premier League for many reasons. I mean, he's annoyed a lot of people over the years. He's he's done a lot of terrible things, uh, but he does uh, have some things going for him as well. And I think against Arsenal, he showed what it was all about. I mean, to lead a defence like that, not just his own performance, which Mourinho was saying was the best that he'd ever seen from John Terry, and there have been some good ones, uh, but to sort of be the centre of of a just a brilliant Chelsea defensive performance, to direct the whole thing. Um, he was the conductor on at the, at the heart of the symphony. Um, he was. And then at the end, uh, a brilliant uh, chest-beating display of exultation as he took the uh, uh, as, as the Arsenal fans who had remained in the stadium uh, poured down their bile from the stubs uh, screaming about how boring Chelsea were, um, John Terry was over there communing with his own fans. Uh, really celebrate. I mean, I've never seen a nil-nil celebrated to such a... I mean, it, occasionally maybe you'll see a nil-nil. When, say when Italy knocked Holland out, they just got to the final of Euro 2000 thanks to that nil-nil. They were celebrating much as Chelsea were with the nil-nil. I actually it. think that Ivanovic was surprised when, you know, Evans was like, oh, final whistle, oh, one step closer. And then he turned around and uh, John Terry's going completely <laughs> bananas. Beside him. He's like, oh, yeah, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, sure, let's go with it. Yeah, okay, let's, let's celebrate this uh, this nil all, this horribly it was better. destructive display. It was better than a, a 1 0 win, I think, for Chelsea, but particularly for Jose Mourinho. And I'll tell you why. Firstly, he continued his attempts to dismantle the Barcelona way of playing football mm-hmm. as we talked about last week he's going further and further down the road of doing whatever Barcelona don't do this is what I'll do now because I've freed myself from their shackles many years ago and secondly he gets to give out about or at least even bottle up the amount of decisions given against him a lot of penalty appeals now, there were yeah. penalty appeals on both sides but Mourinho will only see the ones that should have been given to his team so therefore he can keep despite the fact that they're the, clearly the best team and are champions he's still going to have a siege mentality going into next season oh I think so yeah he doesn't even have to he didn't even have to really get angry about the referee he praised the referee <laughs> he compared his performance to that of John Terry uh, but he said John Terry's performance would still have been great if he'd made a couple of mistakes and the referee's performance was like that. Great, but with a couple of mistakes. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, he, you know, he, he knows that he could have gone there if he needed to. I mean, obviously, he, he respond, they put the fact in that, that, that his team had just celebrated this point in this, in this boiling cauldron of hate as the Arsenal supporters um, you know, spewed out their, their uh, contempt and their scorn for what Chelsea had just perpetrated. And he said, well, boring. 10 years without a title, that's boring. So he always sort of knows where the where the uh, little raw nerves are. Yeah, the pressure points. All right, big news. Big, big Irish Times Second Captain's podcast news is that we're taking the show on the road. And this is a long road, Murph. Quite, it's actually an ocean. Uh, we're to be going honest, across. there is no road. Where we're good. Uh, if there was, it would take a long time we're to drive. Where the map, or at least the road network ends. We're going to San Francisco. Yes, we're, yes, oh, and yes, indeed we are. We're going to be visiting all the famous spots Golden Gate Bridge, Alcatraz, Nike yeah. Town. <laughs> we're going back to where it all began on your obsession with sport, of course, began with my two months working stint in Nike yeah. Town. Yeah. Yeah. We're visiting, most importantly, visiting our old pal US Murph. We're doing all our podcasts on the week of the 18th to 22nd of May. From from San Francisco. It's going to be amazing. We want to give a big thanks to Aer Lingus who are flying over with on their Dublin to San Fran route. I hear San Francisco people don't like it being called San Fran, actually. Do they not? I've just heard this in the last day or two. So listen, we'll do the research. We'll have all that research done yeah. by the time we arrive don't over, want to insult anyone to, get over there. to the city. We have more details of this setandcaptains.com. If you're from San Francisco or somewhere else on the West Coast and you want to be at a Second Captain show, email us. If you have any interest in that, secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. We'd love to see as many of the uh, P. Bezoers on that, in that part of the world as is humanly possible in, that, in the time we're over there. Now, Oshie McConville and Anthony Moyles are in studio. How are you, lads? All on his phone. All good, on. Well, we're good. Murph is not a happy bunny, though, Murph. Tell the lads what's on your mind. <sighs> God, well, I'm sorry, on. I just... Yesterday's league finals, they really bugged me. They, I, I just thought it was possibly the worst three hours of entertainment that I've seen, maybe, maybe ever. I don't know. I, I mean, I just thought the two games... The the first the first game the Roscommon down game had no tempo to it at all. I didn't think I didn't think the there was no one taking a risk with the ball at all. And then Dublin and Cork, Dublin can from Dublin's point of view they, they couldn't have done a whole lot more. Uh, but 
Cork are the most frustrating team, I think. I think they're the most frustrating team in sport. I, I can't think of anyone more frustrating than, than, than Cork, you know? Um, that, that, that had the potential to be a reasonably uh, entertaining game. Even entertaining in that league way that we know that it's definitely not championship. It's yeah. a little bit more open. Yeah. Uh, th- but at the same time, you know, you could pick up a few straws in the wind. But Cork just didn't show up at all. And it, they're damned by their own... By the, by the excellence of like three or four of their players, which leads you to think that they're a lot better than they actually are. Because that straight down the middle of that team, there's just a soft streak. And I don't think it's going away. No, we've talked about this. Like, but we haven't really changed this record in quite some time. Um, the difference between the two teams in the tournament yesterday, Cork were still playing at the same level as they played throughout the league. And they were willing to play nice football yesterday. But the tournament in Dublin had a extra little bit of pep in their step. Dublin in a completely different warm-up. I know it's only a small thing, but they did a completely different warm-up. It was short, it was snappier. Uh, you could see that you know they were up for it right from the war go. And I know you know uh, Murphy making the point that there was only three points in it. You know, with twenty minutes or whatever gone, but the golf and class in the two teams was unbelievable. What was Cork's warm-up like? Just a little bit more laboured? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, Cork's warm-up was. I, I actually the reason why I compare Dublin's warm-up is because I watched them warm up against Monaghan in the in their last league game, and I thought there's nobody going to be fit to play football after this because <laughs> they warmed up literally for 50 minutes. Yeah. You know, and it was it wasn't that it was that intense, but it was very very long and drawn out. Yesterday it was a lot. It was a lot more snappy. Cork did a similar warm-up, but obviously didn't have the same effect. But. Uh, the thing about about Dublin yesterday was they came they came and they were going to impose themselves on Cork and they were going to they were intent on winning that game. And the funny thing is, in all the league finals on Saturday and on Sunday, um, all the managers kept saying was it's all about championship. You know, it's all about championship for us. This is the lead up challenge. As soon as this thing was over, well, one of the things we wanted to do was we wanted to win the league and we set our sights out at the start of the year for the winning teams. And, uh, you know, it's a bit of a cop-out, you know, before a game saying, listen, you know, we're here, but it's really a championship. Because when you're in the final like that, you might as well go and win it anyhow. Yeah. Cork, just, Cork just don't have it, and 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 they have not had it for quite some time. They're fine when you're, when you're playing nice football against them and you're willing to stand off them and give them five or six yards in the ball, but they were, they were poor yesterday. The, the quality in the first game... Um, for the first 35 minutes at least was absolutely pathetic we'll get back to that we'll get back to the first game afterwards but Anthony you wanted to come in and Cork there yeah the worrying thing for me for Cork is that you come into a league final so fellas who they've tried to have unearthed during the league campaign they just didn't show up uh, as Murph says the spine of the team you know there's a few fellas there who've been there a, a while now Cadigan Shields different guys like this who just no leaders you know, like there was a willingness. It looked after ten minutes that Cork just said, "Right, this is it." Like, I mean, literally, I was watching the game and said, "That's it. This Dublin are going to win this at a canter." Like, I mean, and that's they were how it's after yeah. uh, after ten minutes or like, whatever it was. And that was for many time we played Dublin, and even when we, we you know, where Dublin were the superior team for you know, in in the sense of um, even the players, we always said, "Okay, Dublin will come at you like absolute bolts." for the first 10-15 minutes so you just have to stay on the coattails make sure you do whatever you can to try and win your battle or at least even your battle out with your, your opposing man don't concede the ball to them Cork straight away bring Collins back from full forward back in it sits in front of their full back line and in Crow Park you could have four lads sitting in front of your full back line there's still lots of space so they concede the ball out the field which puts their two half backs half forwards under serious pressure and McCaffrey and the rest of the boys just all tear forward Dublin have an extra man and then they pinpoint passes into Bernard Brogan Kevin McMenon who ran riot in the first 15 minutes and basically the game was over after that so Cork then said well look do you know what we'll do we'll actually hand you the advantage see how you get on with it on top of the advantage that you always have, which is that you come out like lightning bolts for the first 10 or 15 minutes, the crowd are behind you. Because Dublin always hit that spell, that lull spell, which they actually hit yesterday. For 15, 20 minutes from about the 10 minutes on, Dublin were very average. a bit listless there for a while. Yeah, yeah there was bad shots, there was bad hand passes, there was very bad kick passes, there was a few really bad attempts at scores. Um, and that was a spell where you thought, OK, this Cork team could now come back into it. They came back into it a little bit. But as Oshin says, first of all, they've no midfield. Absolutely zero midfield. And second of all, they can't kick the ball long. So the goalkeeper is kicking these 30-yard kind of 
kickouts. And if he doesn't have a free man, he's just kind of putting it up there. Dublin did apply massive pressure, but that means the ball was breaking down on Cork's half back line. It was the worst of both worlds. It was they were contestable short kickouts. Absolutely, which is like literally once you break it down there and you get it into a Dublin man's hand. He, he pretty much can score. At least if you're kicking it 60 yards down the far end of the field, it might take two passes. But they were just applying the pressure, asking for it to come onto them, and it, the dam was eventually going to break, and it did break. Yeah, and Cork's kickout strategy actually is, well, the more you look at it, I mean, Dublin have, Dublin have decided, right, well, the kickout, the, the idea of having like a six foot four midfielder going up catching kickouts is so outmoded that we're not even going to mm. play that game anymore. Like, Kerry have David Moore and Anthony Maher. I don't know what Cork are going to do when uh, Ken O'Halloran looks out and sees those two guys 60 yeah. yards away and the Kerry half-forward line doing what they're going to be doing, which is covering for short kickouts. They, they have no option at all. I mean, I, no. I, like the, the, the starting block now for teams is have a kickout strategy that means that when you, we have the ball from a kickout, we'll try and retain that for three or four passes. And Cork didn't seem to have that, which is just unbelievable to go to a league final and not have a kick-out strategy, taking into account the fact that the other team are going to try and win the ball off you high up the field, which is what Dublin did yesterday. Absolutely. Like, I mean, it's no surprise to see O'Connor being coming out of retirement then, you know, because they've obviously sent an SOS out and said, we need a man who's at least 6'3", 6'4", who's mobile enough. Because you don't have to be this myth of, ah, oh, the old midfielder is done. Not necessarily. Like, I mean, if you have a man who's still able to get up there and win primary possession 50 or 60 yards from his own goal, even if he's, won, bre- yeah, even if he's breaking the, yards, the ball, yeah. even if he's flicking it left and right, um, you know, to a, to a half-back coming on, you're still further up the field that if, if, if a mistake happens, you're not, you're, you're not necessarily going to be punished directly. But Cork, yes, it was just like... As you say, punt, punt passes out and then it was just being punished every time. I still think if, you, if you're cute enough that you'll get away with you know, not having brilliant midfielders. I mean, Throne did it for, for years, you know, but they got a mass amount of people in around the ball and they, mm. they all, the, and Torsey always broke it and they were always forced to the break. Cock are never forced to the break because they just don't seem to want it bad enough. So this is an attitude issue as much I, as anything I, else, not, I, not necessarily I, level of I, players I genuine, or I manager. genuinely think so, Owen. Yesterday, like, literally... The game was over after 10 minutes because <clears throat> I'm no body language expert or anything else, but uh, when, I, when you watch you know, what was going on all over the field, Dublin were forced to every ball. Brian Hurley, uh, you know, he's been brilliant during the league. He never won a ball. Cooper was out in front just getting a fist mm-hmm. in, just pushing it away from him. They, they annoyed O'Neill. They put him off his game. He, you could see where he was getting annoyed and... Yeah, the the incident with with Conley getting getting the uh, getting the elbow in the jaw. I mean, you think maybe there's something different about Cork there. Maybe they're going to spice it up a bit. And I know that wasn't that's not what you want to see. And I know it was probably a little, you know, there was a little bit of dirt involved in that. But you know what? That's something that Cork needed. Cork, you know, yeah, I you know. would have thought that that was maybe something that was going to spark. Them when I saw life. that, I thought actually, when I see that sort of thing, I think the opposite. Almost, yeah. I think if teams resorting to that because that wasn't even one of those ones where right, it's going to be a little bit late. I'm going to shoulder him over the sideline here. I'm going to show him his boss. It was just a filthy elbow to the head, which yeah. uh, to the face, which I, I often think it smacks of a little bit of desperation and yeah, inferiority complex. There was nothing leading up to that either. There was no, you know, there was no skirmish or there was not, no. there wasn't, it was, it was handbags really up to that. And, uh, but I just saw, I, th- I think Cork need to start a fight in the middle of the field or something and all they get themselves revved up or something because I've seen them a lot of times now and when you play at their level and you play at a nice level and you play football against them, then they will give you mm. all you want as far as, uh, you know, the kick passing and, and, you know, how they move the ball and especially how they operate up front, uh, the movement. There's no movement up front. You know, even when Hurley won the ball, he was isolated. When O'Neill won the ball, he was isolated. It was almost kicking in and let's see what these boys can do. But as individuals, not as, you know, two corner forwards playing together. When you look at it, you know, I was a big fan of Cutler when he came on uh, the scene originally because I felt... He, Cork for a long, long number of years had a very, very good inside forward line, but the half-backs had just basically ran with the ball and kind of clouded out the space. Yes, they, they, had a de- they, have, a, they have a very good full forward line, but, but then no one was breaking at pace. Collins was getting the ball and he was kind of giving it to a half-forward who was already back, who was giving it back to a half-back. And Dublin have changed now. Dublin aren't putting a pressure, it seemed to me yesterday, 
What Dublin tried to do in the last number of years was the full, full forward line and the half forward line would apply massive pressure, nearly, nearly like full court press in basketball. They'd be right into your face. Now what they're doing is they're just dropping back and they're forming a line. So that's a slight change from last year. So they were back there and they were just saying, whenever you're ready, lads, we're here and come on up to us. And then they just stripped them of the ball. And then they actually couldn't get out of the, the And there was no pace at all. And the attitude is a massive thing, as Oshin says, and that's why you look at a game and you go, "This is this is nowhere. This, they're finished here," um, which is very very surprising considering it's a league final. They've how many weeks to go to the to the monster championship, um, and they should have somewhat of a settled team. But there was one instance yesterday. If anyone wants to even check back, Kilkenny gets a ball in and around between his full back line and half back line, gets the ball. Ham passes it about 20 yards to, I can't remember who someone was coming out. He goes by a Cork player at the hand pass, right? The Cork player is in front of him. He goes past him, as the hand pass is given, another hand pass goes, and he ends up in the end of it and sticks it over the bar. And the Cork player is tracked, has actually lost him. Kilkenny starts a good 15 metres behind him and ends up 15 metres ahead of him. <laughs> now, that is just simple attitude. It's just not bothering, looking around, going, ah, I'm not going to do it today. Someone else can do it. Maybe it's within the camp... You know, leaving Kerrigan as a substitute, certain like I mean, some of the, the 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 selections that he made, some of these new fellas who come in, I don't know, but they're in big big trouble. I think. Well, nobody seems too uh, enamoured with the quality in the first game either, O'Shea. But the Rossies are on the march, the All Ireland. At least that's what John Evans said in one sentence. He yeah. said that uh, after the game, we've been talking about this earlier on that they uh, in in future absolutely they can win the All Ireland. His next sentence was, "Okay, everybody, calm down. <laughs> think keep their composure." <laughs> in here. So, what do you what do you think, Ross? Coming? Uh, the, the first half wasn't wasn't pretty at all. Uh, I didn't enjoy the first half at all. The second half wasn't as as bad. Uh, there was a few glimpses of quality. Um, Ross Common are decent up front. They're decent in the middle of the field. I'm not sure how good they are defensively. Um, down sort of played into their hands yesterday. Down played with that uh, with the extra three or four men back, um, and they found it really difficult to break out. Uh, the quality of the simple uh, things in the first half were absolutely desperate. Even Seneca Braid at one stage gave a fist pass of maybe three meters and it run out over the lane. It was just it was so dead inside Crow Park yesterday. Um, you know, it was very there was very few at that first game and sort of. It almost seeped into the players. It was, as I say, it was a little bit better the se- the uh, the second half. Down aren't going to be able to cope with playing against teams who've got you know two solid midfielders because they have nothing. Uh, yeah. We talked again about them how small they were, and that was just emphasised yesterday by the fact that there was two solid midfielders in, in playing with Roscommon. Roscommon were the better team, even though it took them quite a while to impose themselves on the game. Yeah, I just. Looking at it, it could easily have been the Division Three final. If someone, if you'd walked into Crow Park and said this is the Division Three final, you'd say that's about right. That's the level. But I think, to be honest, the difference between Division Two and Division Three now, there's not a massive amount there. I think, like in the top four, Division Three could could do very well in Division Two as it stands yeah. this year and as it will stand next year. But just one thing that 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 struck me that really jumps out at me when I'm watching a poor game of football, which is. And I think this could be this is the stat of the summer, which hopefully someone will count in every single game. Is hand passes to guys facing their own goal, and it happened so often yesterday that a halfback is coming forward, and instead of trying to instead of someone coming off their shoulder, mm. they're hand passing into a half forward who's running back towards yeah. him, and as he catches the ball, he's he actually what, the same he, position. what yeah. he does is he does a loop around the guy that just passed him. It's a nothing that pass. just passed the ball to him, you know. Yeah. And it's a cop out. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. That, 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 that there's no one actually taking a risk on the ball, um, which is which is a, a risk as in try and beat a man in possession, try and run around him, or to kick the ball kick the ball 20 yards, or to hand pass the ball to a guy on the burst towards the opposition goal. And I just think like that's the key thing that you see in bad football games now, is guys just taking that hand pass. Like Derry and Endelin is, yeah. uh, he's the, the recipient of more hand passes facing the uh, facing his own goal than perhaps any player that I've ever well, you seen. You seem to have done a lot of work on this. Uh, well, no, it's just, it, like, I, 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 I took five minutes yesterday to watch that game and just Count that. Just see how yeah. many, how often it happens, and it's just it's crazy how it's often. The cr- it it's the yeah. crazy stat that has been introduced to GA called possessions. Yeah, possession yeah. doesn't make any difference because as much as you can just be the recipient of a of a simple handball. Uh, what Down did was it was all lateral. 
directly across the field. In fairness to Caelan Mooney, and he has his frailties, and you know he's a player who's only coming back into it. But every time he gets the ball, he's, he goes direct. He's very direct. He got robbed a couple of times, kicked a couple of bad wides, and kicked a, uh, a couple of nice scores as well. But at least he's direct. You know, he, he feels as if there's something going to happen. When the certain players get the ball on, on certain teams, you realise that it's just going to be a sideways hand pass and they're going to jog back into the position. Yeah. I thought Roscommon would be better yesterday. I was a little bit disappointed in Roscommon because... Morris Deegan, the referee, ridiculous second yellow to have a man. Like, I mean, throwing yellows around in the first 10 minutes of a game like that, you're always going to end up with lads getting red cards, you know, especially down through the spine. And there was nothing in the game. There wasn't a bit of filth in the game. Absolutely. No, no need for any of that stuff. Yet, down lose a man, you know, before the half, and it really puts them under pressure. Now, it, didn't, it, it doesn't really affect them with the, the type of game they play, but down our... You know, they have two of the smallest lads inside in the full forward line, but yet any man that gets space, especially for a long time, they were kicking in long balls into these lads, high long balls, which was just coming back out straight as quick. So you're either playing a running game or you're not Are we focusing too much, in terms of our scholar, are we focusing too much on the quality of their performance rather than the fact that this is another piece of silverware, this is another piece of that jigsaw that seems to be being put together there? It's a massive step for them. There's no doubt about it. Evans spoke about it, you know... It is a massive step for them. It's it's just it's just a little accomplishment for all the hard work that they've put in. There's no doubt about it. I would be like us in the sense of, I think they definitely need more up front. Um, like I mean, Kilbride is is, is a class player. Uh, he looks as good a shape as I've seen him in years. Um, Cahill Craig is good. He links to play well. Shine is excellent in midfield. Very impressed by him yesterday. Um, but. You know they they're young and they'll 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 improve. But even yesterday, the, as you said, the kind of the the listlessness in Crow Park it does have an awful impact on players. Like I've played in those games before, where there's twenty odd, thirty thousand people, and you may as well be playing it mm. in a graveyard. Sort of def- yeah, defeats the purpose of being at Crow Park. If, well, if you're in a tight tight yeah. little ground, like play that in Tullamore or somewhere, you know, and there's there's the crowd is on top, and there's a bit of niggle. <clears throat> All of a sudden, you, you'd see it in players. But when there's this kind of, you have so much space and I give you a hand pass and you give mm. it back and then yeah. I give it back to you, you know, you can just see people saying, well, if I flick this on in five minutes' time, they'll still be hand passing. A bad game is a really bad game in Crow Park. <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, what I think as well for Roscommon is the important thing is now that they have a decent championship and that they stay in Division 1 next year because the thing that I would see with both of those teams is that would be so far off what's left in Division 1 that mm. there's a possibility to come straight back down. So whatever bounce you get, this year, it's nullified then next yeah, year. Yeah, and you would hope that they they have a great chance this year, though. I mean, if they, if they, if they having won as often as they've won in the league, they go to Core Park, win a Division Two final. They have London and Sligo to get to a Connacht Championship mm. Connacht final, which is effectively into the last twelve, one way or the other. They have a, t- a free shot at Mayo, where you know Mayo are nearly you know they, they don't want any more Connacht titles. Mayo are Galway have a free shot at them. And then all of a sudden, Ross. No, you're right. I like the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he was downplaying Galway there. Just put the. Uh, you know, like I, you know, you can kind of say that it's building and building and building. You know, with Ross Common, but they've they could lose six games next year, yeah. next spring, sure. very easily. So yeah. Yeah. you know, the time is now. Don't if if you're Ross Common, don't be looking at this year's championship saying, "Oh, listen, we you know, we've got under twenty one teams next year. Next no, year be good." Sure. They could lose six games in the spring next year and be very down on themselves. So. But if you want to talk about speed and transition to the ball, you only have to look at Dublin yesterday. Like the ability of getting that ball out quickly and just bang into a full forward line who are moving at pace and then half forwards. Like there was a score yesterday where a ball was popped in very quickly into, into Bernard Brogue and he got it. Dean Rock was going off his shoulder, just a little quick hand pass, bang over his left foot. Like that is unstoppable. Whether Mark Collins cloned himself by four in there, he wasn't going to stop that. <laughs> yeah. right? because, and he's literally <coughs> moving around. And, and that's what I say. Cork... You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. They, they were abs- They didn't know what they were at yesterday. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, they put him in there and he's going... And, ni- and neither was he even run out of the ball. Like, we spoke before about Donegal, right? And Donegal are the past masters of doing this. Paddy McGrath goes, McGee sometimes goes, um, uh, what's his name, Lacey goes. Different lads go. And when they go, they go. They don't half go. They're gone up the field and they say, the ball will eventually get to me. Cork yesterday were, oh, I'll go, oh, no, I'll come back now. <laughs> and Dublin were already back. It's just, it was terrible stuff. O'Shane, last word on Armagh and uh, their win. Kier McGinney was speaking confidently as well, maybe not as confidently as John Evans, but he was asked about the Ulster title and he said that's the aim, which I suppose it should be for Armagh, but they've been off that pace for, or have been off that pace for a while. How realistic an aim is the Ulster title? Uh, 
I think we're still a little bit off. Well, I think we're definitely going in the right direction. I think we're definitely doing the right things. A couple of players introduced over the weekend. Uh, we weren't. We didn't have Finn in the middle of the field, who's a big miss. But Kieran O'Hanlon, who's a serious footballer, um, and Andrew Morning, who sort of come through minors, was unbelievable. Got lost for a few years. Is back now. He has a bit of work to do, but he's an exciting player. And I think you know when I talked to Jamie after the game, he said that. He needed somebody like Morning in there because Morning is, is he thinks as quickly as Jamie does, and the two of them walking side by side, I think, is a very positive thing. And I think Ama at the weekend, their structure defensively didn't look great, but actually after they lost the man, second half, I thought you know, Fermanagh didn't look as if they were going to penetrate Ama at, at any stage. Um, but I think we're going in the right direction. I don't think we're going to lose the title, but I think we could have a similar run to last year. That's great stuff. Thanks, man. Thank you. No bother on. Shane Curran with the kick out. The 42 year old goalkeeper. Curran it out from goal. Here he comes. He topped it. He fought it. He's 50 yards out from goal. What a day for us coming. All the mother niggas lame, and you know it now. When the real nigga hold you down, you're supposed to drown. Bam. 1944 is the last time I've seen your child come out of here. And the one, 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 with the last one. Bam. Leave a pretty girl sad reputation. Start a fight club, bad reputation. I asked the question: Did anybody deserve to lose at the Ireland Cup final? Give me a tech 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 if you know the answer. It'd be heartbreak on either side. Imagine being eight up. Imagine coming eight down. Shane Curran has been lifted by an umpire. The sub goalie, two castle barmen, and a British man. I can't see Curran continuing. It could be his last race out of goal. We should probably mention, Murph, that Dublin were quite good. <laughs> we talked a lot about Cork there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ah, Dublin were quite good. Yeah, they were, Dublin were very good. Uh, Dublin, uh, particularly, I think, in the, in the first half when it kind of seemed like there is a chance there might be a game breaking out, they did put, some, put, put together some pretty nice scores. I mean, they, they led 5-0, certainly 4-0. That was, that was good, the first 10, 15 minutes. I mean, what did we learn about Dublin? Oh, nothing. Oh, no, I'm yeah. not saying it's, it doesn't make it any no, more no, less likely they'll win in All-Ireland, and it's not really much good for them, that game, I yeah. don't think. But it's the same you would think the Dean, Yeah, you would think that Dean Rock will play in this championship, and I think he deserves to. He's a really excellent Jack McCaffrey. footballer. Uh, Jack McCaffrey should be back in the team. Uh, looks like a very potent uh, weapon for Dublin. But other than that, yeah, God, it was... It was just a really dead thing, and I mean, we mentioned the the fact that the games were on in Crow Park and thirty one. I mean, it's it's amazing that you could get thirty one thousand people into a stadium and for it to be as quiet as it was for three hours. Well, I mean, a lot of the crowd weren't in until the start of the second game, but um, it, it's it, it's a, it's a feat of engineering to make that little noise. I mean, it's a miracle, I would say, to make that little noise over the course. Which of Which is three funny because like we've we've talked about Ross Common fans in particular being usually quite a. Uh, quite loud and colourful yeah. and all those things and maybe they would have made their presence felt in a uh, provincial venue or somewhere like that but, like you know I mean it, it might be nice for Dublin to play a game outside Crow Park once in a while alright enough of the downbeat stuff should be a good Irish Times second captain's football podcast today that's yeah <laughs> they have asked for that really well you can laugh to walk up I'm a little bit of an idealist but having said that I want to be like me what are you talking about? What have you I'd like to stay alive for six years. I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. I'm down to field, and we'll see them. What you doing down here, you showing me, man? Eden Hazard, the best player of the season, uh, according to all his fellow professionals. He won the PFA Player of the Award last night, and we're going to talk a little bit about him and how he got to where he is. Uh, we'll talk about some of the things about some big games over the weekend. Obviously, that we've mentioned the Arsenal Chelsea. Uh, when Manchester United took a bit of a pace thing James as well. McCarthy's wonder goal yeah James McCarthy just after I think I grouped him as one of those players who never scores one of those midfield players who never scores even if he has a chance to score he'll pass to somebody in a worse position because scoring isn't what he does uh, there he is he raids through the Manchester United defence he's like showing balance like Diego Maradona and the, remember against Belgium the semi-final of 86 yeah. he's, he's bent over practically double but his little legs are still whirring away keeping him up up uh, and he manages to beat David De Gea with a with a savage shot, Owen, uh, <laughs> uh, and um, uh, shoot down Manchester United 
after only five minutes or whatever it was. So uh, congratulations to him and uh, another apology from me. A lot of apologies coming from the two of us in the last week or so. I can't wait that long, though, to get to the big news of the day because we've had a lot of tweets and emails about this. A certain somebody is back in Nigerian football. Coach, you wanted victory. This is the game you wanted victory, but it didn't happen. What happened? Well, I wanted victory. I want victory for every game, but today's game, uh, this is for football. You look frustrated on the pitch. You look frustrated on the pitch during the play there. Where do you where do you think you got it all wrong today? Well, it's just the nervousness, the anxiety in front of the front line. We want to score, we want to score, and uh, it's not coming. Some of your players, I mean, you had Kenneth Omeru and Ahmed Musa. They were injury concerns before this game. Were they fully fit for this game? Yeah, but you saw the game. They were playing good. Um, I don't have a problem. I think they did good. What lessons are you going to take away from here and what will you do differently in the next game? Uh, we just have to calm everybody down and then take it from there. We have to calm you down, overzealous reporter. Well, good news for that guy because Stephen Keshi, the man at the end of those questions, yes. is back. A lot of interest in this um, from uh, people tweeting at Second Captains. Uh, it's, it's great when you really feel like you, know, you're, you have ownership of a story. You know, that when, when it comes down to it, when news breaks on this story that you are the most trusted outlet for that news well uh, one week later (laughs) one week later we swoop into action once again yes uh, people are interested in how Stephen Keshi is getting on now Stephen Keshi of course was a coach of the Nigeria Super Eagles uh, whose contract was not renewed after the World Cup that you heard I mean, you could you could hear from the tenor of that interview that there were problems with the Super Eagles theme. <laughs> Just a few. And uh, his contract was not renewed. However, his contract, uh, he was rehired on a match-to-match deal uh, immediately after the, his contract was not renewed uh, until uh, November when they failed to qualify for the Nations Cup, which took place uh, there in Equatorial Guinea. Um, so Nigeria have been looking for a new manager and they have hired a new manager, who is Stephen Keshi. <laughs> He's back. He's back for the third time uh, as Nigeria coach. I mean, the third time in the last few months, but there have been no other Nigeria coaches. Uh, it's only been Stephen Keshi. He's been employed, then unemployed, then employed, match to match, then unemployed, but, and now once again employed. He says, it's a fresh start. Uh, <laughs> we need the support of our fans, media, and every Nigerian to return the team to where we truly belong. As a coach and former player, I also was heard that we failed to qualify for the Last Nations Cup. We need to come together as one because Nigeria belongs to us. This is not Stephen Keshi's team. This is our mm. national team. And with the strong mandate given to me by the Nigerian FA, <laughs> I look forward to many years of the job. Well, look, um, uh, according to the BBC, um, who had a, a local reporter, BBC Sport understands that Keshi has been set several targets and that his contract will be terminated if he does not make them. <laughs> I'd say he's pretty worried about that. <laughs> I'll keep my phone on all the same, though, lads. Thanks. No winners for AP McCoy on his last ever day of racing at Sandown to add to his career total of 4,357. Uh, it looked like a bit of a grueling day for him, to be honest. Uh, being the He's been the centre of attention for a long time, but maybe not in a way quite like that. Johnny Ward of the Racing Post is on the line. Johnny, have you ever seen a motion like that in a racehorse before? No, uh, probably not. I mean, um, I was at the Hennessy, the Irish Hennessy, when he won the Hennessy on Carlingford Lock um, earlier this year. And I think uh, in terms of Irish racing, that was a special day because uh, the reception he got that day, I think it was the day after he announced that he was retiring. It was it was just uh, totally went beyond racing in terms of its significance and what you felt yourself being there. Uh, and uh, what happened at Sandown was just another level altogether. This is a real death in the family in terms of horse racing. Um, some people will say that, uh, you know, the the media has gone on about it a bit too much, but I think Sandown on Saturday would, uh, you know, testify that it's all very merited and uh, it's it's just not going to be ever the same again, you know? Yeah, I think people do, me, the media do go on about these things. It was the same with Brian O'Driscoll, it was the same with Henry Sheffern, but it's, it's probably just a natural thing. And um, the way a racing day is structured, I found it quite interesting watching it. it there, there's a, a few hours of coverage and there's a lot of time where there, there's no not going to be a race on. So there was a lot of time for the... For the, even the presenters, I thought were getting emotional. His fellow jockeys, Richard Johnson, wins the race. Uh, finally, beats AP McCoy to one, having been uh, runner-up to him in the Jockeys Championship fifteen years uh, for fifteen years, uh, and he looks emotional about the whole thing. So it's not it's not as though it's a media construct. I mean, people clearly care quite a lot about AP McCoy in racing. 
Absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's uh, this is a fella that won't be around again. There won't be anything like this again. You know, he's he's basically been champion jockey every year he's ridden, and uh, he's had seven thousand six hundred and thirty rides and. I mean, some of the quotes he's been coming out with since the day have been just absolutely unbelievable. And I've always felt he was a bit like Roy Keane, and he's kind of been saying that himself, that, uh, you know, he's he's nearly as mad as I am. And he said, I genuinely felt like I've never worked a day in my life. And this is a fellow who probably hasn't had a proper meal in 20 years. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. And he was talking about yesterday, he had a bit of lunch, and um, he, he, he woke up to the smell of a nice kind of Irish breakfast. And I was just thinking, like, what must that have felt to him like? But it's... It's been a it's been a tough time in racing, you know, with JT McNamara. We've had, uh, you know, a few years ago there were three deaths in Irish racing in one year, and we've had uh, Robbie McNamara and we've had Davy Condon being told he can't ride again. Yes, despite all of this, the iron will of Tony McCoy has just kind of shone through the whole thing, and I think just what what basically really people feel is that this is mortality you know we just nobody can go along, along forever and i think the fact that ap mccoy is finished it there is that feeling you know it will genuinely never be the same again and i think that's what richard johnson was feeling and, and his peers as well i've read a lot of these interviews with him as well over the last few weeks and one question keeps recurring to me and that is why exactly is mccoy retiring yeah, I, I think there's a simple answer to this. Uh, I think he's retiring at a time when he feels that he hasn't regressed. Uh, and as a National Hunt jockey, 40 years of age is old. Uh, most jockeys don't get to that age uh, in National Hunt. On the flat, they can, and they can maybe ride a bit longer. But, for example, this is what he's we quoted in marvellous piece in The Guardian, actually, last week. He says, I've broken my ankle, my leg, my arm, my wrist, my lower vertebrae, my middle vertebrae, all my ribs, punctured my lung loads of times, fractured my sternum, broken my collarbone, shoulder blades, cheekbones, all my teeth have been broken. That's probably one of the reasons he's retired. I mean, at 40 years of age, uh, to be trying to struggle on in terms of your body. I mean, he's been in the front of science for so long. He probably should be four or five stone heavier than he is. And I think just that feeling like if, if I can ride one more season and I feel that I'm actually getting worse, I think that would absolutely kill him because he is a bit mad and uh, I, I, I don't think he could countenance the idea of riding below his best. It strikes me though, and he made the point to Claire Balding the other night that he reached 50 winners as fast as he ever had this year, reached 100 winners, maybe even 150 winners, and then had a bad fall and subsequently had a lot of injury problems. It, it seems as though he's having to convince himself that this is the right thing to do, that as you say, he seems obsessed with the idea that he can't ever slip down to number two. So he has to go out while he's still riding really well. But he's talked about how stubborn he is and why that is going to prevent him from ever coming back. He's talked about having to show bottle in making this decision. I find it quite interesting. It seems to me as though he's trying to put himself into a place where he can feel comfortable with, comfortable with this. Because uh, after the race at Sandown yesterday, I think it was before his last race, after his first, he said, for the first time in my life, I think I'm going to be spending more time looking back than forward. I think the best things in my life are behind me. It sounds to me like a guy who could well struggle in retirement. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he and he's admitted himself he doesn't really know what he's going to do. And again, what you say on there, a lot of echoes of Roy Keane. You know, Roy mm. Keane was, I think, at a stage well into his career where he basically wasn't enjoying victory. It was just a defeat that really scared him. And I think it's the same with McCoy. You know, uh, he's he's going to have to become, you know, just a family man that uh, is going to really struggle, I think, to justify his existence. He might maybe do a bit of TV work. I don't think he's going to go train, and that seems to be completely out of the question. Um and just the, the the drive that he had to, to go through what he did in terms of his body. And you, you were talking about uh, this season. He, he wanted to get to 300 winners, and it would have been achievable. And uh, I think it was at Worcester earlier in the season, he basically punctured his lung. And three days later, he was riding again, he, he, and he said he was in absolute agony. Um, it, it's completely insane. I mean, there, there really I don't think there's anyone around that could... Uh, do what he's done and for him now to wake up this morning um, and you know over the next few weeks all the accolades will die down and life will go on for everyone else but for McCoy this is uh, basically all he's been doing since he was sort of 14, 15 years of age and it'll be a completely bizarre experience to him and I think it will be a struggle I genuinely do think it'll be a struggle for him because uh, he's as he's made the point several times himself what buzz am I going to get from life? Yeah, he said, yeah, I've heard him say that a couple of times the, did, he, did it strike you that he looked a little bit embarrassed by the whole thing on Saturday? Well, I don't think he's one for, you know, um, being in the public limelight so much. He's, he's um, a very, very straightforward guy. Um, and, you know, I, I think 
probably by the end he was a bit embarrassed by it because this has been going on for quite a while now since he announced uh, that he was to retire. But I think he made a good choice in the sense that I think racing has really benefited from us. There's been an awful lot of uh, publicity. Um, and I think that was a conscious decision he probably made with J.P. McManus that, you know, I'm going to give myself back to racing to a degree. But uh, he, he wouldn't be... Um, the guy that would be lapping it up, uh, you know, like the Frankie Dettori mounting off the horse, and that's not Tony McCoy, you know, and it's uh, it, it definitely wouldn't come easy to him. But um, and speaking of Frankie as well, he did another very interesting comment. He said his consistency sets him apart from any from everybody else. And his anger, and I think uh, that's Tony McCoy. He's he's just a man possessed. Well, the racing world moves on. Punchestown starts tomorrow, and the big one is the Champion Chase. Have you a strong favourite in that, or if not, have you a strong favourite for the week? Well, all the strong favourites will be trained by Willie Mullins. Really, I suppose that's slightly disappointing about Punchestown um, this year is that. While we have a really, really strong Irish racing scene at the minute, um, it's kind of had a paradoxically negative effect in the sense that there aren't really many British challengers coming over. So a lot of the races are going to be with Willie Mullins' trained favourites. The champion chase tomorrow, he was going to run Vautour and Novice, which would have been intriguing. We're obviously in the year where Novice won the Gold Cup in Coney Gree. He was going to run Vautour, uh, but he wasn't satisfied with his work on Sunday morning, so he's going to run uh, three other horses instead, including Champion Fever, who might well take the beating in a very open renewal. But it's going to be a week with a lot of short price favourites the likes of Duvan Don Poli um, Faheen is going to be really really short uh, so it's it's probably not the biggest punting week in the world but it's going to be kind of a, a admiring virtuosity of the horses there uh, Don Poli I think will win on Tuesday um, but he's going to be a short price and it's it's going to be a week where uh, the bookies are going to kind of struggle because they're like we're, we're taking on these short price favourites but they're all going to win yeah absolutely well, listen, we're looking forward to it anyway listen Johnny thanks so much for talking to us not at all on Murph, earlier on you mentioned Ruby's, Ruby Walsh's interview on that day. And he, one of the other points, one of, I thought he spoke very well as well. One of the points that he made was that this is actually a happy day, that this guy's retired now and he's done all these amazing things and that's what should be celebrated. But I guess, and I think that's true, when a, a sportsman retires, a sports person retires, it almost, it does feel like people do too much as though there's been a death. Yeah. As, as though something terrible has happened when actually it's the most natural thing in the world it's just I suppose there are a few people in Irish sport who are big enough that it, that it, that it seems a little bit more than just a normal retirement yeah it's a weird thing and it's something that you actually always do is when someone retires that instead of saying oh you know this must have taken a lot of soul searching you, like you should congratulate someone who retires on their retirement because what you're not you, you're not saying you know, the last day has been terrible. What you're saying is the last 20 years have been amazing. So congratulations to you on the... <laughs> Particularly like when that. you get to do it like that, when you get to go out in your own terms as opposed to somebody who's injured early yeah. on. And unfortunately, there are a lot of a couple of bad injuries at the moment and jockeys are having to retire. So uh, Ruby, in, in fairness, uh, not Ruby, I should say, P. McCoy himself has said that. He's counted his blessings. And I'd say friends and family are just happy now that he's finishing that sport, which is an unbelievably dangerous sport uh, yeah. as, as everybody acknowledges and I think what you're and what you're saying as well is that it goes beyond uh, 34 year old footballer retires because you know it's crucial it snaps you know like what you're talking about is actual life threatening injuries that you've managed to avoid uh, for 20 years and you you walk away from it and yeah that's that's the big thing so Ruby's lung is punctured he gets it reinflated and goes back racing three days later but everyone has to make sacrifices for their profession in our case we're going to have to shake off some jet lag next month <laughs> in case you miss our, our bit of news of the show of course you know and like that's something that we're just going to have to deal with you know we're just going to have to shrug it off say right When's our next podcast? Let's, let's just get right back out there, you know? It's a long old flight to San Francisco. We're finally going to meet face-to-face with our beloved US Merch. We'll be there in the middle of May. We've more details on secondcaptains.com. And if you're in the area at all, I mean, you can be American. There's, there's no problem with that at all. Uh, we're, we're open to all, but I'd say this is a particular you interest. To, you didn't run that by... Oh, yeah, okay, of course. Americans, welcome. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and, well, uh, ah, what the hell. Also, P. Bezowers over there, uh, particularly listening to the show, more than welcome to one of our shows. Yeah, we'd Just email us it. at secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. Thanks very much, Murph. Thank you, Ken, and thank you, Owen. Thank you, Karen, oh, and thank you, Oh, you messed up the order, Murph, but I'll thank you anyway. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.